Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have a great guest. It's New York City improviser Alex Kornfeld. But first, a little business. Girlfriend of the show has a new weekly blog called The Blug, offering some fun and insightful things. It drops every Wednesday, so you have time to sign up for it and get tomorrow's in the form of a newsletter. Go to justinasparling.com slash the blug to sign up. I mentioned it in the There It Is newsletter that came out yesterday. What's that? You didn't get it because you're not signed up for our newsletter. Why aren't you? It's designed for comedians and artists trying to live a creative life and offers tips to make that journey easier. Go to thereitispod.com to sign up for that. Look, these newsletters are free, so don't leave free stuff on the shelf, as my mom always says when there's a two-for-one deal at the grocery store. Well, this is a two-for-free deal, so go get them. We have links in the description for you to sign up. Now, on to today's guest. As I mentioned, it's my good friend, Alex Kornfeld. Alex is a fantastic improviser at the Magnet Theater, who I had the pleasure of playing with for four years on our Magnet House Team Sweetheart, which just ended its run. Bittersweet. But we had a great chat about improv for all you improv nerds out there. So let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Alex Kornfeld. You know, it's interesting seeing that space because you're in your new apartment in Queens, but I have seen it before, even though I have never been there. When I interviewed Megan, or well, it was Megan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing the Wisconsin accent. I'm doing the Wisconsin pronunciation of Megan. I, I call her <laughs> Megan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, when she was on the podcast, that's where she was. That's I, funny. So I saw her, saw it through the screen, just a different position. But it's cool. It's cool to see the place. So you're in Queens now. Listeners don't know you're originally from Staten Island. Born and bred. Born and raised. And we mentioned Megan. Megan is your sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. Who Megan Gray, previously on the podcast. Also your brother, previously on the podcast, <laughs> Louis Kornfeld. And this is the only time this combination can happen <laughs> where I have someone uh, who's in comedy and their wife who is also in comedy and their brother who is also in comedy on the podcast. I don't even know who else I could have well, <laughs> who is of has I, that kind of connection. I heard that next week you're going to be interviewing my two two and a half year old nephew. Yeah, that would be <laughs> the, the deepest way to go about this. Now I'm going to have the two and a half year old nephew. And son of a previous guest. I, <laughs> I mean, he was born on April 1st. So, you, you know, he's like, it's he's an April fool. <laughs> and he's got it in his blood. I have no doubt that one day he will discover improv. And just, it'll be like, he'll be channeling these natural gifts that he, he never knew what to do with until then. <laughs> Lewis is your older brother. Is Lewis doing improv how you found out about improv? Oh, yeah, definitely. So Lewis is six and a half years older. He graduated college in 2003. I wouldn't start college until 2000, 
2006, in 2005, he was living in the upstairs apartment of our parents' house. So he, he graduated with a degree in film. So he was always sort of doing kind of creative endeavors. And then he and Megan, who at the time they'd, they'd been dating for, I don't know, seven years or something like that. Like yeah. it's, 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 it's weird. Like even like say referring to her as my sister-in-law because of <laughs> the entire time that they've been together, like the, like four years they've been married and 20 years they've been dating. So like right. in my head, it's like, oh yeah, Megan, like my brother's girlfriend It's like, no, no, they're, they're married now. I, I married her. <laughs> so he was living upstairs and I won. Well, let me back up. He and Megan and Charlie Whitcroft, who is my brother's best friend from high school, and I would probably still say best friend, and this other guy, Corey Grimes, also a good friend of theirs from high school. We all went to the same high school. They found out about like UCB, and so they started taking classes there. So like in 2005, they were kind of getting into it. The theater, I think, would found be founded, would found later that year. And I won, or I came in like second place in a regional high school bridge building competition where like mm -hmm. in physics class you would have to build a bridge as, as a project uh, with certain materials couldn't be longer than a certain span couldn't be shorter than a certain span had to hold a certain amount of weight that that sort of thing so i came in second place in my region in new york and they sent me to the like national competition in chicago oh wow and Lewis was like my chaperone because I was 15 years old. And while we were there, we went to like Improv Olympic and we saw some shows there. Awesome. And so he was, you know, he was like, oh, yeah. And like this team does a Harold or this team does a that or whatever. And um, I think later that year, he also took me to see TJ and Dave, who I had never heard of. And yeah. I, I want to say I fell asleep <laughs> during their show. But you want to say because you just want to stick it to TJ. And I just Dave. want to stick it to TJ. It's and not Dave. that it happened. You just want to be able to say that. <laughs> right. It. I when I was like in college, I knew that improv was a thing. I was very resistant to it. Like Lewis and mm -hmm. Megan and Charlie and people like that were, were always like, oh, you should do improv one of these days, Al. You should, you should do improv. And I was like, no, no, no. Well, you just wanted your own thing. I guess so. I was like a science guy. I studied mm -hmm. physics in college and I and I thought like, no, I'm not going to be good at that. Like, that's your guys's thing. And I, I've been coming around to the magnet for years before I ever started taking classes. I mean, I started taking oh. classes in 2013 and I've been coming around the magnet probably around 2007, 2008 to see them in shows. And I remember just being around these people who like were doing bits constantly to the point where like it seemed like they couldn't help themselves and i was uh -huh. like what is going on like <laughs> it's a weird language that these people have so was it both was it that you thought well they do bits all the time i don't do bits all the time so i guess this isn't for me or oh, they do bits all the time i don't want to it's a good question i i think i was just generally very frightened of the idea of being on stage you know there's a it's you're so vulnerable being up there with people watching you, you don't know what you're going to do next, really frightened me, which I would come to actually really love that about improv and like stand up to me is terrifying. Like knowing what I'm going to say, th there's a certain freedom in like, oh, whatever I say in improv is the right thing. So there's, I'm doing the right thing at all times, like technically yeah. kind of free. Whereas uh, like stand up, yeah, you can plan it ahead and try to hone it so that it's good, but you don't know if that crowd's necessarily going to like it. You don't know, you know, and it's just, it's your baby because you honed yeah. it, you crafted yeah. it, you made it. And so you want it to go over well, but you don't know if it will. You don't know what might go wrong and you're telling the thing. And so it, it, that, that can be, 
that can be frustrating. I mean, it is all in how you look at it because also it can be frightening and frustrating with improv where it's like, I don't know what to say. Give me a script, please (laughs) give me something planned because I know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with just, I don't know when, when I don't know what's happening next. That's why a lot of actors are afraid of improv. That's funny. Yeah. I, I think I'm always looking for the path of least resistance Mm -hmm. and I find that the path of least resistance is following the rules, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, like, you know, have a want and, and let your character respond honestly to like, oh, like we, we know these three things about your character. And if you just continue to filter the rest of your character's interactions through those things, then you're, you're golden, like, because you've already you're staying honest to what you've already shown the audience. And there's that much less that you have to think about and plan. Cause you know, there's like good thinking and bad thinking and like bad thinking is like, I'm what I'm looking at my team on stage, but I'm thinking like, okay, what do I do with this? Like, and all that thinking leads to me zoning out and missing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That is like, it is a vulnerable thing. As you said, I mean, not only are you on stage, in front of people, but you're also expressing something that is just so inside of you. And it's, it's so deep inside of you that a lot of times you're not consciously aware of what you're saying as you're saying it. Yeah. And, and that's how vulnerable you are getting (laughs) that you're just talking at the, you know, at the speed of life as TJ and Dave would call it. (laughs) I fell asleep while I was reading that book. (laughs) You wanted, you want to be, you really (laughs) wanted to say that, but for real, it's a situation where you, you can just, it's, it could be really freeing or it could be really anxiety inducing or both. And, and and it, but it is the fun of it because you know that your team's going to take care of you. Yeah. It's, oh boy, there's, a few lessons that I've really taken to heart, or at least one lesson that I've really taken to heart, which surprisingly enough, what what has really helped me like uh, incorporate this lesson is going to mixers is the idea of like, take care of your scene partner. And then that's kind of all you have to do, like make your scene partner look good, that that sort of lesson. I mean, I remember and I I, I want to say that like on Thursday when we had our show, well, I think I think I was talking about this either with you or, or with, with, with somebody else. The idea that like back in the day when I'd be coming to mixers for the first few times, I would always get paired, you know, at the time I was in level one, level two at the magnet and I would get paired with more experienced improvisers like people on Megawatt or people on back then like Revolvers, but like The Boss or Hello Laser or Junior Varsity. Yeah, those are some weekend teams. Yeah. And yeah. also for the listeners, Megawatt night, or those are the house team nights. I was talking mm-hmm. to an improviser from another town the other day, and I said Megawatt like everyone knows it. I just like said <laughs> it because I'm so used to it. He was like, oh, and what's Megawatt? I was like, oh, yeah. Um, but yes, those are our house team. Continue. Yeah. So like, you know, back in the day, as as a less experienced improviser, you know, still a student, I'd be paired with with more experienced people because the the magnet is very good about, you know, making people feel supported and mm-hmm. and then one day a few, few months in i'm at the mixer and uh my name hasn't gotten called yet and i'm i'm wondering like oh what's going on did they did they miss me and then they they call me up with like somebody who 
never been to the theater before, who'd never done improv before. And then in that moment, I was like, oh, I'm the person now to make <laughs> their scene easier. And there's, I don't know, I, I have this like nurture mentality where I I, I just want to make other people feel comfortable and I, I want to take care of other people. And that, that lesson of just making the other people look good and mm. you'll naturally listen. You'll, you'll listen to what they've already put out because you want to like amplify that. Right. No. That's such a good point about why jams and mixers are are good because you are going to pay so much more attention <laughs> because I've had the same experience doing the mixer at Magnet when I'm playing with someone and I, and I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. And I, they're either a student or they just are someone who randomly came in and, you know, it, they you can see that they're nervous. <laughs> you can see they're maybe a little scared. So you you get really invested in making them feel good and making them feel like everything's okay and that, you know, the, the scene is fun for them. Yeah. Yeah. The, and then on the flip side, back in the day when the boss, my brother's old team, when they were still playing at the Magnet, they, we had this guy named Cleveland who I, I, I don't entirely know what his background was, but he would show up usually every Thursday because we had the Thursday mixer and we had the Wednesday mixer and he would show up and want to do a scene. And he was like a true wild card. Nice guy in 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 real life, but in the scene, it's like he would just start with his thing, and like you were in his world when when you were playing like a scene with with Cleveland, and <laughs> usually they would they would they would hand him to like the experienced people, you know. But then I got to play with him a few times, which in the beginning was scary because it, like I said, he was like a real wild card. Mm-hmm. But I think that was maybe part of the that was like the beginning of me thinking like okay this person is going to be this way in a very like is it is it judo when like you use the person's body weight against them where like they're it's coming at that or aikido or taekwondo or all of those okay <laughs> like i i adopted this style in response where like he would come out just hard and like you know very like antagonistic and like like don't you do this to me? Like, don't you know who I am? I'm the, like, I, I've broken so many people like you before and I'll do it again. Like, you're immediately in such a charge scene. Uh-huh. And rather than matching or like, like fighting against it, I'd be like, hey, pal, I'm just looking for the bus. So if you could, <laughs> and just, like, and I, I feel like, you know, for me, I tend to play like, well, I guess to give you an example, like one of my former coaches told me that my style was, and every man in a world where he didn't belong. And <laughs> I had never put words to it before, but I was like, that's a good way to put it. I, I, I could see that. As someone who's played with you for years, yeah, I could see that connection. And I feel like in, in those scenes with people like Cleveland, that kind of became my safety net, I guess, for, for good or for bad, because safety nets are good for making you feel safe, obviously, but then you, you can get stuck just playing the same type of character. Right. So you've spent many years at this point. You've only studied at the Magnet, right? Yes, correct. You mentioned there about getting stuck and playing the same kind of characters. That's pretty easy to get stuck into, isn't it? Like, I feel like I could do that. And and it's usually if I'm just not thinking about having a thing, if I'm just like, okay, what, you know, I don't have an idea. This other person did, so let me just listen to them. And so I don't think about what, I'm what my character is doing or what my character is feeling or having a thing because that it's just easy to forget to do that but it's like such a crucial part of doing yeah. improv well but th- that's when I end up just kind of 
playing the same character. What sort of tricks do you try to do to, to if you fall in that trap, mm. how you get out of the trap? Usually I will give myself some sort of a secret that maybe I don't even know what it is yet. I will usually lean on like, if I'm in a scene and it's like a little bit quiet, I might lean into my partner and be like, hey, can I, can I tell you something? And I might not even know entirely what it is yet, but yeah. the, the sense of urgency kind of like snaps me into a different reality where, where all of a sudden there's like stakes when there, there, were, there, there might not have been stakes before. Uh-huh. Uh, That's one of my favorite moves. Like I've seen you do it. I've seen Charlie Nicholson and other previous guests in the podcast. I maybe mentioned it in a sweetheart because he, he coached us at one point. Mm-hmm. I maybe mentioned it there, but it's such a good suggestion to say, like, have a secret and then just say, can I, <laughs> I love it when people do. I always love that move in improv. It always works so well. It, it really does. I mean, cause like you're instantly there's stakes. I mean, like, I feel like there's so many scenes and like I've been in a ton of these scenes where I feel like it's two people kind of floating in the ether. You don't exactly know where you are or why mm-hmm. you're there. And you're just kind of talking for a while and, mm-hmm. and think like, OK, if, if we just keep on doing this, we'll we'll get out of it. And like it doesn't usually work. Yeah. Like finding a reason, finding a reason that you want to talk to that other person, like I feel like wanting to talk to that other person is like important because. Sometimes it's just two groundless people talking. And then I will get in my head of like, how long have we been doing this? Is the audience finding this funny? Why am I here? And I feel like saying like, hey, can I tell you something is a way to almost like remove the audience from the equation and bring me back into it mm-hmm. and sort of answer those questions. I, I for a long time, I would I would prefer to be the person stepping out second. Like if I saw my team partner stepping out with an idea, I almost wanted to be the person of like okay let me reflect back what they come up with and shine a light on that as opposed to like what's what do i want to start off with although usually if we get a suggestion of like laboratory or like spaceship i'm like oh i gotta i gotta take this (laughs) yeah yeah i like i i I like to step out with people too like when i see someone else going some of that is me not wanting to be a stage hog Mm -hmm. which i because I also will do the intros and outros often. So I'm like, ah, oh, I shouldn't do it all the time. Like, why, why am I standing out? But it's like, I've got, I think from my radio days, any sort of moment, just like a moment of nothing happening is like, oh, this is death. Like, you can't have, you can't have dead air. Even if it's a second of dead air, it's sort yeah. of like, no, that's bad. There's yep. got to be the next thing. So I've trained myself so much that it's, incorporated into moments just like the practical technical side of doing an improv show it's mm-hmm. like okay you know we come out we do the intro and then we go to the sidelines and then someone comes out it's like beat after beat there's no there's no second of just of a stall but i'll stand on the sidelines like don't go out with your dumb idea <laughs> like and then when i see someone else going out i'm like okay just join them and don't do your dumb idea. <laughs> it's funny how much judgment there is in improv. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a funny thing because it's like, at the end of the day, we're grownups doing make-believe on stage <laughs> for a show that people probably won't remember past like a few days. I mean, like, and I mean, it's a failure-based art form. And uh, I was talking to Nolan Constantino about this the other day, and I might have stolen this 
uh, this might have been in Improvised, the McNapier book. I might have stolen it from there, but I really it like resonated with me because, like I said before, I was I, I come from like a sciencey background and he used the analogy of like improv, like an improv scene is like an engine, like there's inputs, there's outputs, and then there's like exhaust. And you can't have like a a 100% efficient engine the same way you can't have like a scene where like, you know, you, you have to try stuff and it might not always work, but you eventually get to the thing that does work. And then you're like, okay, now I know where we are. And, but you have to try stuff first. And that's like the exhaust of the scene. It's like, it's a necessary byproduct of, being somebody on stage who doesn't know what you're doing yet and you're looking for that thing. Going back really quick to the idea of like dead air and like silence, I think it, it's a difference between or there is a difference between like silence where you're like, um, what do I say next? Yeah. Which is a symptom like that in itself is fine, but it's a symptom of, of maybe maybe not being in like the right space beforehand. But like you can be totally silent, but have purpose. And in a way, I think the audience reads that and they're like, oh, okay, we're taken care of. Like we, they know what they're doing. And, mm -hmm. and like in our show on Thursday, you know, that first scene with me, Jonathan and Max, it ended up, we were breaking into a safety deposit box, but <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even remember what the suggestion was, but I came out. Oh, it was, uh, it was eggs. Eggs. And in my <laughs> head, in my head, I was like, oh, okay, we're, we're we're scientists in a laboratory we're reading some sort of like horrible monster or something so i'm already going to my like sci-fi place uh -huh, uh -huh. I, I start like tapping on the eggs in <laughs> my head and it's like we're quiet like we don't know what's going on yet mm -hmm. but it's like a purposeful quiet where mm -hmm. i feel comfortable and i think that the audience hopefully feels comfortable yeah those that scene was so great that scene started in the in the odds was game for it i think that's one of the things it's true with improv and with stand-up because i was talking to an old buddy in south carolina when i was living there and doing stand-up and, and still like just very early in my process of doing stand-up and his name is nick shaheen he was the godfather of greenville comedy he hated it when we when we said that <laughs> he like started so many of the the rooms that like i don't know we would have been able to open for the touring comics if it wasn't for him but he was saying I was telling him one time about like pace and not wanting to like have too much pause or something like that, something along those lines, just like we were talking about earlier. And he said, the audience is willing to wait. Mm. <laughs> like you don't have to fill the air with something. You can have a pause and then go into your next thing or, or, or mention your next thought. You know, obviously there's the rhythm of the joke, but if it's going from one joke to the next, you can you can take a, a few seconds to think about how you want to start it. Like that's fine. The audience is there for you. Yeah, they're not they're not going to go. Hey, start to, you know. They're not going to start yelling at you. It's the same with improv. Tomatoes. Right, and it's and and I always appreciated like the first scenes that like you and and Jonathan, like everyone who's on our team would do because you all would take your time. And it sort of set a tone, a ground, a very grounded tone with the audience of and it's kind of like what our team did in general. Is we would mm -hmm. really set a, a kind of a quiet tone of here's something I'm doing, but we don't all know what it is yet. And we're all just peacefully, patiently waiting for us to figure out what it is and know what it yeah. is. And it, it feels like something. We just don't know what it is yet. And the audience is always like invested. 
I feel like when when that happens, there's they're not rushing it, so we don't need to. And you know, you'll you'll hear people say, and I I agree with this. Like you know, let's say you step out and you start doing something, and you're taking your time, and you're doing like for example, like you know, I was tapping on the eggs in that scene, but I didn't say that I was tapping on eggs. I was just tapping on something. Mm -hmm. And even though I started off doing it, it's not my scene. Like I didn't label it. So somebody else has the right to come out and be like, oh, you're tapping on a safe. And it's like, yes, I'm tapping on a safe because (laughs) I didn't say that I was tapping on something different. And we all kind of have this like shared, not responsibility, but like this shared team ownership of, Mm -hmm. of what, what one person makes. Like we're all, we're all making it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're all there together. It, it's not like no one has any more ownership of it than anyone else. Yeah. We all get to say, hey, this is ours. So you've had a lot of time that you've been at Magnet. And I feel like you are kind of uh, the historian of the Magnet because you, you've remembered a lot of details. You can name a bunch of old teams and everyone who was on it. And, and you, it seems like you remember the waves of different performers. It's because you were there right at the beginning watching shows i imagine there's some magnet students who are listening and maybe some improvisers who are just learning elsewhere who are, who are listening what sort of advice do you have for someone who's just getting into improv that you wish you had when you were going along or even stuff that you now realize was like a godsend of information that maybe the average person doesn't get when you were coming along so- Good question. I think for one thing, everybody's different. And, you know, we were saying before about like how much judgment there can be in improv. And I don't mean. And it's like, like self-judgment. Self-judgment. Yeah. I was like, let's be clear. Like, yeah, it's not the, the judgment that yeah. I'm talking about is like me thinking that I'm the worst improviser to ever take the stage um, and sort of getting in my own head and projecting that onto other people and thinking that like everybody else thinks that I'm like, and uh, you know, I've, I've had my, my phases where I got very in my head about stuff. And I think in general, it's like, it's the same thing as like, if you're walking down the street or like, if you're on the train and you're, and you're, you're feeling self-conscious for whatever reason, like 99% of the other people are in their own heads. They're not really noticing you. So like, I, I don't think that people are, are paying as much like, granular attention to every single move that you're making or thing that comes out of your mouth. So like, I guess that's all to say, like, try to get off your own back a little bit about like judging every single thing that you're doing. Like, I think that when you come up, like when I came up through the magnet, like level one was and is like engineered to be such a, a beautiful, gentle, like time where you're kind of like coaxed out of your comfort zone and made to realize that like oh like this thing that was scary because like I was terrified before I when I started doing like level one it was very much like a now or never like this thing terrifies me and I'm gonna face my fears and I came out the other side being like oh what a beautiful experience this is and I'm Mm -hmm. glad for that experience and then level two is kind of an extension of that and then you get to like level three and by the time that you're in level three I think that the you you're you're probably there for the long haul like you mm-hmm. you um, yeah for sure and like there are definitely some people who will go to the first two just because they had fun with the first one so they took the second one yeah there are a ton of people who only do the first one first class. Oh, yes but that third level yeah you're pretty bought in by that point that third level and that fourth level and and also like there's a what is the analogy that i want to use here like the the like enrichment of 
uranium. I, I was reading a book called The Making of the Atomic Bomb by mm-hmm. Richard Rhodes. And like uranium is in its natural state, like you can't just like mine it and then make a bomb with like a chunk of rock that you find. Like you have to like continuously like refine it. And similarly, it's like in level one, you have people coming from all places. You have people from off the street. You have like people from all different backgrounds. And like a lot of them will probably kind of like, you know, filter out, you know, like, okay, I, I did level one. That was fun. And I got what I wanted from it. And, and then you'll have, you know, and then you'll have people who, who started off like with a performance background, a theater background, you'll have Mm -hmm. people who like me, like had no theater background, like not even in high school and just found out that I loved it. And by the time that you get to like level two, level three, level four, the concentration of talent has increased and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're like, oh, really good in level one. And and you have the, the that sort of attitude, which like I have trouble with of like, oh, I'm feeling so good about it because I'm better than other people, which is just like a shitty thing that I wouldn't encourage anybody to. Feel. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that. it can be easy to have to battle with that just yeah. because, you know, it's people it's just so easy to compare yourself to others and if you're having success and you start getting opinions on like well this is what's good and i'm doing that i'm having that success and these people aren't having that success so i'm better than them you know it it can get really easy to do that and it's yeah it's not encouraged it's It's, not the point (laughs) it's not encouraged nor is it encouraging and and like when i got to like level three level four i was comparing myself to everybody and was like, wow, I'm awful. Everybody else is so much better than me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I got the advice in level four from Megan, my sister-in-law, because I was taking Busy Town, a class that she right. created and, and, and still teaches. Because I was like full on nervous by the time that I was in level four, just because I was taking that class with Adam Pasulka, Ashley Glicken, Tim Dufresne, like a, a bunch of like really great, talented the greats. And what I like fail to recognize also is like they all have experience. Like Tim was doing improv already. I think like in Nevada, Ashley Glicken from Chicago was like doing improv there. Adam Pasulka was like on the second city cruise ship. It's like all these people had all this experience. It's like, and so the, the, the lesson that I got from Megan who was very into yoga and I, I think still is, but was, was like super into yoga then was like, keep your eyes on your own yoga mat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is your journey. Pay attention to that. Don't compare mm-hmm. yourself to other people. And then also when you combine that with the fact that like, you know, somebody like, I, I don't know, Charlie Nicholson is great, but like a team where every single person is Charlie Nicholson, where everybody's doing the same stuff, as opposed to like a place where there's Charlie and then somebody who balances Charlie and then somebody right. else, like a third type of energy. It's like, just because you're different than other improvisers doesn't mean that you, you don't have- not good. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's like a big I, lesson. Ah, uh, that's a good one. My way of describing that I realized years ago was like a basketball team. You don't have five point guards out there. Right. You've got right. you because you you have different needs. You have a point guard. You have a center. They play different roles on the team, mm-hmm. and you need each of those roles. So the point guard can't go. Ah, I stink. I can't do what the center does. Like yeah, well that center has several inches on you and is playing a different role (laughs) that doesn't mean you're not good (laughs) because you can't do that that's just it's just a different play like enjoy and i guess this is the next thing i want to talk about is like how does one have confidence in themselves without judging other people and just looking at it as hey i'm good at this (laughs) 
know, how do you say that not arrogantly? I don't yeah. know that. I don't know that our culture has really, and like, and when I say our culture, I don't mean man. I mean American culture has really modeled a healthy confidence level. Yeah, it's something that I like. I don't know that I have the answer to that. It's it's a question that I ask myself a lot of like walking that line between having confidence, knowing your capabilities, but not feeling arrogant about it. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I feel like I was raised in a way where, you know, if you have other people visiting, like if you're hosting a party or something, you know, you have to be the perfect host. You have to like expect mm -hmm. other people's needs and wants and like, you know, mm -hmm. take their coats, like offer them drinks, do all this stuff. But if you're, if you're a guest at somebody else's house, sit down, keep your hands in your lap. If they ask you if, if you want anything, say no, because it's like impolite to ask for things like, right. which is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm 34 now and, and I don't entirely believe that it it has to be one or the other you know i think that you can be a <laughs> yeah. good guest and, and ask for you know a soda or something yeah i mean if you're a guest it's if it's understood that when you're a guest in someone's house that you give them a drink or that when someone is a guest in your house that you give them a drink then if they're thirsty they should be able to ask for yeah. a drink. yeah absolutely and and so like translating that to improv or to like feelings of confidence or self-judgment or you know whatever it's like at some point, and I think like for me, I don't know when it happened or to what extent it may have happened, but like at some point you you, you realize, like, all right, I'm on a team at a theater mm -hmm. with other talented people. The audience is laughing at us. I think that it's safe to say that I, I, I know what I'm doing for the most part. And I can say that without a sense of arrogance of like, I am God's gift to improv and everybody else should bow at my feet. It's 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 something that's always been difficult for me because I think that the type of person I am is on the on the people pleasey spectrum. I'm more like I want people to like me. Like I I wish that I wasn't that type of person sometimes, but I think that that's just kind of how I'm wired. And it, it it makes for interesting feelings and emotions when you're doing something like improv. You want people to laugh. Like at the end of the day, you're doing something that you want people to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And when you kind of tie that up with those feelings of like wanting to people please and, and not wanting to come off as like arrogant, it, it makes for some weird like mental, you know, like gears meshing. Mm -hmm. I think I just try not to think too hard, hard about it. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe it's like finding what your principles are. That you like if if it's improv, well, what through all of the improv that I've seen and liked and read about and learned about, what did I just admire the most, and what do did I want to emulate, mm. and make you know like what are the principles that I I want to have when I enter scenes or do a show, and then like what's in like what kind of integrity do I want to have? What is integrity to me mm. when it comes to it, and aim for it. And, and if I feel like I've, I think one of the, and I, something that Hannah Chase said on the podcast previously was that it's not a form, it's not an art form that is as technical as like say music mm -hmm. or dance or something. Like there is a specific way to do certain things. The 16th note is a, is a 16th note, regardless of what, what you want to say. <laughs> it, it is what it is. And so if you are trying to play an instrument and you're not great at 16th notes, then you would try to hone that. Like, that's what you can point at. I don't know. It's harder to 
point out something necessarily with improv like that because it's not as specific or true of a thing and it's not being clocked the same way that the time signature and, and beats within that time signature are. However, if there is something you could point to and say like, oh, I'm kind of dropping the ball here or lacking yeah. there, yeah. I'm going to make a concerted effort to get better at that, then you're honing it and you are getting better. And then once you see the fruit of the labor of trying to get better, you could just be happy that you got there, but not like arrogant, like, look where I am. I right. guess that's like the, the difference of a healthy confidence and an, and an unhealthy confidence. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. But and also like a lot of the arrogant people, they're just cocky and think they're God's gift mm -hmm. to the world. And like, that's the, that's the main thing. It's not even that they're so good. It's not even that they are objectively doing something better than everybody else. They're just, they just act like they are. So it's like, I guess that's an easy thing to avoid. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, people's senses of humor are different. And uh, I, I right. can appreciate that. And I, I can mm -hmm. respect that. I think that there are certain commonalities. There are certain um, moves that people can make. Most people would probably laugh at and find funny either because they're like really smart or like, oh, it's a callback to that other thing. Mm -hmm. And e even something as simple as like somebody responding honestly in character, in the character that they created, responding mm -hmm. to something can be funny because people like patterns people like oh they're doing the thing that they basically said that they would do and i and i like that yeah i i you know i think you're right about the like 16th notes and things and if if there are like technical aspects of improv I, it's probably more like staying true to your character and like not changing not like mm -hmm. going back on that promise you made to the audience of like hey this is what you can expect for me to do right things like that. And when you break things on that level, mm -hmm. then it can be confusing, not just for you and for your teammates, but then the audience gets taken out of it because they feel like, wait, like I thought that we were promised like this type of thing and now we're getting this thing and mm -hmm. now we don't really know where we are. That's hard to play in those scenes too. It's hard to be an audience member, but it's also hard to be in those scenes because you don't know where you are and yeah. or you don't know what's going on. Absolutely. And I feel like those moments can come from the temptation sometimes to say the thing that you think you're supposed to say that you, or like you think this thing is going to be funny, but like maybe that thing isn't something that your character would say necessarily. I, I love thinking about this stuff because it, it's like, yeah. it's like the vent, like improv talking about improv. It's like the Venn diagram of like psychology <laughs> and comedy yeah. right. and how people feel about themselves, how people feel about each other. I feel like going through the curriculum and then being on a team definitely made me think much more about like other people and like what people want and how they behave than I ever did before I got into it. Right. Right. I think something when I was, when I got cast on Sweetheart and I, I was, I said something to Peter McNerney about it. We talked about it for some reason. I remember why maybe we just bumped into each other and he was like, Hey, congrats. And I was like, yeah, I'm on this team with like these great players that I've admired. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh my gosh. Now, and I'm playing with him. And he was like, yeah, now the trick is treating them like anybody else. <laughs> he said something to that effect. And it, it, yeah. it made me laugh, but it's also true, you know, because it's all the same. You know, whether you're playing on a mixer with someone who just came off the street and has never done improv before and they're scared out of their mind, mm -hmm. or you're playing with a person who's done it for a decade 
and is known in that community that you're newer to, like I was when I was cast in Sweetheart. It, it's the same. It's the same task. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm still supposed to listen to you. I'm still supposed to support what you have brought to the table. And I'm still supposed to add something and help the scene flourish. And that's it. It doesn't matter who you're with. It doesn't matter if they're your favorite improviser you've ever seen and you have like big heart eyes for them or if you're, you have no idea who they are or if you dislike them. You know, yeah. like, I, you know, I can't think of a time where I had to perform with someone I hated. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you are and find yourself in an improv scene with somebody you really don't enjoy as a person, it's all the same task. Yeah. And I... You know, we were talking about this the other night. I feel particularly lucky. I've been on three teams at the at the Magnet, and I've I've loved every team, and and I've loved all the people on those teams. Mm -hmm. um, and it to me, having like a show as much about like going to the bar afterwards and like and just getting drinks for a few hours and talking and laughing there as it is about like the on stage. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like I you know choose to be in it more for just like the you know 25 minutes that you're on stage and and you have like a richer because it's like my goal is is not like i'm gonna be on stage and i'm gonna have a good show or i'm gonna be on stage and i'm gonna have a funny show like that's that's not what i try to think about my what what i try to think about is like i'm gonna try to make jason break or like i'm gonna <laughs> i want to say something that like jonathan will find really funny when he's on the sideline or something like that like you know that's that's where i put my heart Oh, that's a, were there times where you're like, I'm going to try to make Jason break? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that you were ever aiming for it. Sometimes. And like, <laughs> yeah, like there, like there are different ways to activate different players or like different, different things that you've seen, you know, your teammates do in the past or like heard them say, you know, for example, like, oh, gosh, we might have been at like Ian O'Keefe's apartment and we, I think yeah. we were, I think we were going around in a circle it, it, it was like an affirmation circle we, we were all saying things that we liked about like different you know people on the team and jess rowley her thing for me was like it always tickled her when i came out in a scene like hello i you know cause it's just like so like i, I don't know and <laughs> yeah that's funny I, I never really thought about it too much before she said that but then i couldn't stop seeing it whenever i would do it and then you know she was in our show on yeah, Thursday the other day yeah I, I made a point to come out and be like, hello, I'm looking for <laughs> such and such. Cause and in, in my head, I was like, that was for you, Jess. Like that was for you. Uh, yeah. It is always fun when you, cause it's, especially if it's, especially if you're like the fourth person to enter the scene, like if you're a walk on and, mm -hmm. and some nonsense is going on in the scene and it's like a storefront or whatever. And you just come in and you'll say, you'll say hello like that. It always got a laugh. It because it always disrupted, but in the most polite way. And it was never like I don't know. There's some people where you can tell that they're kind of about themselves in scenes, and mm -hmm. they so they enter just because they're trying to be on the stage. But it seemed like you were getting a kick out of playing with the people on stage. Yeah, and come in with something that you are giving them to, to goof around with as well. And it was always a delight. It's, it was always really funny when that would happen. Yeah. It's, I, I think at this point, it's those moments that really like tickle me is like seeing if I can tickle 
my teammates. <laughs> yeah. You know, I feel like if you chart like improv, I don't want to say progress, but I guess I will. Like, you know, it kind of zigzags, but it overall in the aggregate, it, it tends to go up. It trends and, upward. Yeah. It can plateau, know, but, you know. Yeah. I mean, it can then go back up. I think that something that I have suffered from, and I don't know if, if it comes in like waves or if once you deal with it, you've dealt with it, but you're talking about that character that like every man in a world where he doesn't belong, that's something that I feel very comfortable that I can like return to. And it's like not me a hundred percent, but it's like close enough to me where I feel like I, I know what the character wants, but I was talking to somebody once and they said that when you first get comfortable playing a character that you begin to fall back on it's you know it's like you're you're lost in the woods and mm -hmm. you find a clearing and there's safety there you can build a fire there and all of a sudden it's like oh great i was in the woods but now i'm here and i can set up a camp and i feel safe and it that can feel tremendous that can feel great like you've been lost all this time you felt like you didn't know how to proceed and now all of a sudden you have this thing that you can kind of like latch onto, and then it's very easy at that point to be like, great, now I'm going to stay here because it's safe. <laughs> or you can trust of like, okay, well, I found that clearing. Maybe if I head out into the forest again, I might find another one. And then you might find these other characters over time that you can sort of like go in and out of. And I guess that just kind of goes to a person's tolerance for vulnerability and that frightening feeling of like not knowing how to be on stage or mm -hmm. and I think for me it's like my first initial bit of feeling frightened was was when I started doing improv in the first place yeah. and locked into a character that I felt comfortable enough playing and then maybe I was like oh thank god found that okay whew. and then <laughs> stayed there for a long time and <laughs> yeah. um, I think also being on a team is a different experience than being in a class or like being on a team with people who, um, I mean, for us, I feel like day one, we all kind of like loved each other. I, I right. felt like, because we all knew each other already. Like, it's mm -hmm. not like we were all strangers. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't know Jonathan well, but I, I mean, he was in my callback and uh -huh. Jess, I had seen around the theater a lot. Everyone else I had seen in shows a bunch and had spoken to like you and Brzezlowski. Mm -hmm. And Amanda, Amanda was the roommate of a good friend of mine who also moved up here. You know, Meg Pearson, previous guest of the podcast, okay. friend of the podcast. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there was already all this connection and, and awareness and enjoyment, I think, throughout the whole team. I, like, I, I, like I said earlier, I couldn't believe I was on the team with you all. I think the beauty in a team dynamic is it necessarily, for me, I felt like, it took me out of my head where mm -hmm. it was like about me, where it's like, how, 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 how do I be funny? How do I, how do I do these things that makes the audience laugh and, and grew into more of a place of like, how do I make Jason laugh? How do I make, how do I make Jonathan on the side start to like, you know, hold his belly. That, that was always funny to do to Jonathan. <laughs> I made him double over once with some dumb reference I made. It was like, if you say something that's silly and also not necessary, <laughs> then he will, He and it's like a crazy reference, a deep cut reference. He will double over. Oh man. Jonathan makes me laugh. Like yeah. everybody on the team makes me laugh in such like distinct ways. Like yeah. Jonathan 
I feel like jo- what Jonathan is so good at that, like, I'm not very good at, but like, Jonathan has such a good eye for patterns and like, mm-hmm. and like punny things. And yeah. like, so was like, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like tying back to the idea of like, you don't have to be the best person. Like, there is no quote unquote best person. You're all good at these different things. And like, when you realize that, like, when you actually like, integrate that lesson and not just like it's not just something that you tell yourself so that you feel better about where you are but when you actually learn to believe it Mm -hmm. it's so powerful yeah because then then you become like an ensemble then then you become like oh jonathan's really good at this jason's really good at this like yeah yeah, really good at this yeah all complement each other and it's it's not just like a feel-good happy thing where hey we're all good in different ways it's like no, no no like yes we are but we all together are greater than like the sum of our parts kind of thing. Right. Oh, for sure. That was one of the things to make another basketball reference. I just watched the documentary, The Redeem Team. Okay. Which for those who don't know, that was the 2008 USA basketball team that went to the Olympics in China. And they were all these stars. It's like Kobe and Dwayne Wade and LeBron and Carmelo Anthony, all these stars. And none of them were on a team together, but they the way they played together was like they had been playing together for a decade or something like that, like since they were kids, because they they just knew what the others could do. It's that sort of connection where this is just firing on all cylinders without yeah. anyone having to think about it, yeah, like consciously even necessarily think about it. It just becomes natural to just do this thing. And Julie is going to do this this other thing that we all love Julia for, you know, it's just all uh, the whole, like every iteration of that team was like that. That's the thing. It was like, there were 13 in, in the end, there've been 13 people who've been on sweetheart. Yeah. And it's an eight person team. And so it's, you know, the five people had left and five people were added. And we were always able to have that sort of synergy. Yeah. It, which is, you know, I think that like, I kind of think of teams like a, a like a brick wall, you know, mm-hmm. like the the running bond pattern of a brick wall where like you don't sack the bricks immediately on top of the brick below it, but it's like offset by half a brick. And mm-hmm. and so you have and, and that gives it structure, you know, when when you lose a player and you get a new one and they kind of get folded into the, that like framework that already existed, it changes it. But it's also there's already that framework. And uh, I, you know, when when we got Ian O'Keefe, yeah, I felt almost like he'd been there from the beginning. And what a <laughs> shout out to Ian O'Keefe. What a beautiful, yeah. sweet, sweet boy. But every person that we ever got on the team, it's like, oh, this is sweetheart. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, I tend not to think about it like, oh, this is like sweetheart part two or this is sweetheart part three. It's like, no, this is sweetheart. Yeah. It's like Doctor Who, where like the doctor dies and you get like the new right. doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they all feel the same, you know, at least yeah. like especially like recent years, because I, I I don't watch the show regularly, but I've just sort of seen in the news when they get a new doctor and I have gotten two or three of them confused mm-hmm. to, as being the same person because they're so similar. But if you were to look at them next to each other, you'd be like, they don't look anything alike. Right. And they're very different from one another, but they're close enough. There is some sort of thing about them that just gives them this vibe. and. It, it that is when we like were petitioning for people to be on on our team when we needed uh, new people on. It was like this person is sweetheart. Yeah, they yeah. they fit so perfectly, and it always worked. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, and I'm sure you do, like when we were in Cincinnati for the Cincinnati Improv Festival. Yeah. Fun time. We were, what a fun, shout out to Cincinnati. What a, what a, what a fun city, what a fun festival. And we were sitting there, a show was about to start and we got the email from Bianca, the megawatt director at the time saying like, Hey, sweetheart, like, cause Amanda Rothman had just, had just left the team. Mm -hmm. And she sent us the email saying, and welcome to your new player, Julia Schroeder. And right. we were like in our seats, like, can you believe it? Like we got Julia and it, because, because it, it felt so perfect. I was like, of yeah. course, this is who we want. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, that was, that was a very special moment. Cause we weren't all even sitting, we were like separated in the crowd. Yeah. The lights and we were, like, were down. And so we couldn't like, we had to contain ourselves, but we were all, it was all in our faces, in our eyes, just like looking across the theater at each other, like, oh. Like just excited, <laughs> bouncing in our chairs, trying not to disrupt the show that was going on. I know. What, yeah. a, what a fun time. But yeah, that's everyone has felt like that. I saw Julia last night. It was wonderful seeing her. Oh, great. Since she couldn't make the last show. Yeah. Last megawatt show, but we'll do more. You hear that world? Sweetheart's not going away. We just won't be on megawatt. We'll do more shows. Well, this has been a great chat. We're at the end of the conversation. But not the end of the episode, because we still have to create something together. Okay. And my suggestion would be to do an improv scene. Cool, man. I think that'd be fun. Let me see if I can think. Of, or, do, or do you have a suggestion? Oh, boy. I'm drawing a blank, man. I've got a suggestion. i got a suggestion for the uh, scene. Field. Field. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The hole's dug. God, that took longer than I expected, but... Cannot believe how long it takes. Like they make it look so quick and easy in movies and TV shows. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that I think they show you the beginning of the of the of making the hole, and then they show you the end. They cut to the end. They don't show you the hole. Right. They make it seem like oh, an hour passed by, maybe. Yeah. We've been out here all day. It's getting dark. We missed lunch. God. Well, you want to say something, or should I? I don't even know what to say. Other than sorry, but I don't even know what I'm sorry about. I mean, you know what? It it could have happened to anybody. That I mean that when you're let me be real with you for a second. When you're sitting that high up in the tractor, there's no way there's no way to see if you know if something runs in front of it. Like you're 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 so high up, you, yeah. you can't see the bottom. Yeah, you know, and the grass was very tall. Yeah, that's why we were out here. Doing yeah. our doing the harvest. Right. I mean, I am I am very sorry to have hurt this bear. Yeah. It looked alone. It, I don't think it was running back to any cubs or anything. In the whole time that we were digging that hole, which as we've said, was a long time. It was a big bear that we had to fill. The big bear. I don't think I didn't hear any other bears or critters trying mm -hmm. to come out here. I, I think that I don't think this bear had any family. Yeah, so what we didn't. We didn't. I didn't break up a family. No. I'm hoping that wherever it came from, it was considered the asshole of the bear community. Yeah, yeah. It's still a living thing, so I'm sorry. But at the same time, look where you're going, bear. Come on, did you not hear me? I know, right? Like, I mean, the tractors are big. They're not that fast. Yeah, they're not fast. They're they're absolutely loud. That's why I had the the phones on. Yeah. Oh, you get serious ear damage. 
my 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 cousin my cousin out out on the in the the next right. county over he can't hear certain notes he can't hear certain notes because the tractor is is buzzing at at, at the same frequency all day you know Jeez. you 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 destroy those little little hairs in your ear that are responsible for particular notes my gosh there are yeah. hairs in your ears that allow you to hear certain notes yeah 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 i don't i i don't know what they're called but are you how deep are they in the ear yeah, that's a good question I guess I never thought about it because I cut I, oh. the hair, the hairs off my ear. And is it bad? It's just oh. like on the like the outer area. It's it's not those hairs, right? Well, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna whistle, and you tell me if you can hear if you can hear it. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna modulate, and you tell me if you can if there's a part of it that you don't hear. Okay. I, your lips look like you are whistling. But I'm not hearing anything. Oh, damn. Can you whistle? I, th I think so. I thought so. No animals are coming around. So I don't I, I, I don't know if you whistled, because maybe if you whistled, some animals would have come out. Oh, right. But I don't know. Maybe there are none around. Maybe they heard about this bear. Right. Hey, can I just say, we dug a real nice hole for this bear, mm -hmm. more than a lot of people would have done. We're good people. You know what? A lot of people would have just tossed the bear aside, but we're trying to give it a proper Christian burial. Christian because, as we burial. all know, bears are Christians. Yeah, in God's country. In God's country, out here, the, this county. Yeah. God made with his bare hands. Well, is... I'm glad that I'm glad that we were able to find this plot of earth in the uh, pet cemetery. <laughs> Surely, nothing bad will come of this. Nah. All right. Do you have anything else you'd like to say to this bear or about this bear before we drop all the dirt on it? Be good, bear. Whatever's on the other side, you know, all the good that's happened in your life, pay it forward and just smell you later. <laughs> and see. Oh, that poor bear. <laughs> For, look, I, I do feel that it was the asshole of that bear community that it came I mean, from. that's... Nobody came looking for him. So. Yeah, I'll, always stealing other bears' food, you know, like that kind of. Oh, there it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jason. This was a blast. Thanks for listening to all the listeners out there. Ah, Alex Kornfeld, you can't find a better man. Thanks for listening. I hope it inspired you. Alex doesn't have anything he's promoting at the moment, but go to magnettheater.com for info on classes if you're in the New York area and check out the show calendar if you live here or are visiting. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod and subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is and follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes and on Instagram at Jason Far Picks. Also subscribe to the newsletters, ours and Justina's. Support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. We got some fun episodes coming up. Stay tuned. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. Yeah.